All right, Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Questions will, will be on the screen. I'll go ahead and read those right now. Um, what do the fruit in the root, ooh, kind of rhymes, doesn't it, of these trees represent? That's the best alliteration that I can do, by the way. What is the great treasure that changed the desires of our heart? <clears throat> what is the great treasure that changed the desires of our heart? How might you risk, be at risk of fruit stapling? What would heart change look like for you? What would heart change look like for you? Luke chapter 6 is where we'll be, of course, finishing up the sermon on the plane next week, but we are well on our, well on our way, and soon we'll be in uh, chapter 7. I want to start off by asking um, a question this morning. Uh, this question is, why do we do, or why do we, why do you, why do I, why do people do the things that we do? Right? Isn't that, is that a song? No, I don't think it is. Why do we do the things that we do? Why do we act the way that we act? I've got a lot of questions I'm going to start off with, okay? but they all revolve around that one. Why do we act the way we act? Have you ever heard someone say, or have you ever watched something or seen something on TV or YouTube or whatever it may be, maybe, and, and you just kind of wonder what would possess someone to do that, right? So I, I thought of crazy things like people jumping out of airplanes and uh, those people who jump off cliffs in those, uh, in those squirrel suits. Have you all ever seen that? that that's just weird. Um, it doesn't look like a squirrel, but it has like the flying squirrel suit and they go until they land on the ground and um, most of the time they make it, I guess, right? Uh, what would possess someone to do something like that? Um, if you have kids or if you've ever dealt with children, maybe you've wondered, how, how could they be so contradictory, huh? right? Say one thing and do the other, or say one thing and then the next moment say the exact opposite of those things that they like or love or want to do or don't want to do, whatever it may be. Um, how can, um, I'm, not, I'm not there yet, but for some of you might know this, uh, how, can, how can teenagers just get so angry sometimes, right? Ever wondered that? How teenagers get so angry? Why, why have we seen so many in our culture get swallowed up by despair and depression. I was hearing this week that um, the, the teen suicide rate in the last like six to seven years has increased from 6% to over 12%. Why have we seen so many get swallowed up by despair and depression? Why would a man risk his family for 20 minutes of sexual pleasure. It got serious real quickly, didn't we? Why do we get angry at such small and trivial things like traffic or others? Why is it a couple that seems to be, that seemed at one time to be so much in love, you went to their wedding, you participated, you've seen those things, and, and now they're at complete odds. They're at war with one another. I mean, it could be even as simple as, why, why is speaking in public so difficult? So if we're introspective, we can turn this question around and ask this to ourselves, is why did I just do that? Why did I just say that? You ever done that? Said something? And then almost in the next moment, just kind of this clarity came over and you just thought, why did I just say that? Where did that come from? Why, where, what was I thinking? I, I know I have. It's like daily questions for me. Why do we do the things that we do? And this is the question that I think Jesus answers for us in our passage this morning. And it's the right question that we need to ask of ourselves. Why do we do the things that we do? And so Jesus, as he's addressing the, uh, um, the disciples, speaking to disciples, and remember who he was last week speaking about, he was speaking about the, the, the Pharisees, 
And, and this is what he's speaking to, as well as the, the, the Pharisees as being blind guides, but, but in revealing their nature and why they do the things that they do and why they say the things that they say and why they can try to pick specks out of people's eyes when there's planks running out of them, it reveals also our deepest reality in the nature of our own hearts. Totally missed by the Pharisees and often very often missed by us. And so we have this passage this morning to engage us, to enlighten us, and help us to answer this question of why do I do the things that I do? Look at verse 43. Verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now previously, a couple weeks ago, we actually read these passages and we talked about them to help us understand the, the love your enemy passage, the, the very difficult passage of, of trying to love our enemies, which is so difficult to do, seemingly impossible. How do we love people who are attacking us, who abuse us, who have neglected us, who are treating us unlovingly, who has taken advantage of us, who has stolen from us in all of those ways? How do we do that? And the temptation of many is to take the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain and turn it into a, 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 uh, a ethics lesson. Act this way. Be, be, be this way. And, and we've created these programs of external beha- behavioral modification and moralism and, and, and legalism, all the things that we've been learning and seeing about the, uh, about the, the Pharisees. Be a, be a better Christian. Do better. But what we see Jesus revealing to us this morning in our passage, and what we've seen throughout the Sermon on the Plain, is if there's one great need that we have, is that we need radical transformation. I can't love my enemy without radical transformation. I can't see clearly without radical transformation. Because that's where it starts before we can love the Lord and love others. So this is the, the, basic, the basic teaching throughout the Sermon on the Plain, and Jesus continues with that. And so he uses an agricultural lesson, right? Trees and, and fruit, and it's an axiom. Right? It's an axiom truth, meaning we, we all know it's true. That's what that means. You know it's true. Right? You, you, could, you could tell a tree by its fruit kind of thing. Bad trees will produce bad fruit. Good trees will produce good fruit. And inevitably, the fruit will, will, will grow that is consistent with the nature of the tree. So, all, so everything that is produced by the tree is because of that's what the tree is. And that's what Jesus is getting at today. As he, as he looks at this, this, this truth, this axiom, and he applies it as a metaphor to, to us. That we produce fruits of our lives that we produce fruits of our lives, behaviors and words that we speak and attitudes and actions, all, all come out of us as fruits. And it reveals our motivations and our desires. Now, now last week, as we, as we looked at how Jesus was warning us not to follow false teachers and, and Pharisees and, and other hypocrites, we talked about how these guys... We're, we're blind teachers, right? And if, if, if you are blind and you follow someone who's blind, then it's going to lead you to your death. And that's what these guys were. They were blind guides that were, that were heaping burdens and, and of, of, uh, of law and rules and applications of the law that didn't even exist in, in, in Scripture. And we ended up with this, this third parable there of the, of the one with the, the log in his eye that was trying to pick out the speck in someone else's. And we firmly asserted last week that as, as Christians, as the church, 
that we need to be very careful and be warned of false teachers. That this is the way that they will want to lead us astray into their own understanding, into their own idea of what the gospel is that's not according to the scripture. And we walked even through history and how history has proven over and over again that there are people who wish to take advantage of the church with their false teaching. I was corrected last week, actually in the middle of the message, of the book that I was telling you all about that sold 2 million copies, but it was actually 15 million copies that it was sold. A little bit worse than we were expecting. And so there's this warning continues for us this, ma- this, this morning. Sometimes the little subtitles in our Bibles make it, make it look like it's a totally different topic and Jesus is talking about something different, but it's not. There's a little word there for, right? And it's a conjunction brings us together with what Jesus was talking about uh, uh, earlier. And so last week we talked about how don't follow hypocrites this week and answering the question why we do what we do. There's kind of a warning here that says don't, don't just follow hypocrites, but don't be a hypocrite. Don't, don't be a hypocrite. And when we ignore Jesus' teaching, we're, we're in danger. When we ignore this, this teaching of, of, of not seeing why we do what we do, we will become hypocrites. There's a great danger to the church today, and it's been going on for generations after generation, because the church has found a way to preach the gospel in a way, which isn't the gospel, to preach a, preach a message that has divorced all of our need from God's grace. And we've, we've lived under these, this message, this misunderstanding that defines the difference between uh, uh, the religion of the Pharisees and the gospel of the kingdom of God that Jesus came preaching. The Pharisees preached, preached the message of legalism and moralism and external beha- modifications, behavioral modifications. Um, and this message of the Pharisees still lives among us today. It's been subtle, it's been small, it's been mingled with words and phrases that sound good to us that we've heard before, but yet it still heaps burdens on us. And it has. Some of us still walk in our lives with, with years and years of weight of guilt, even though you might have confessed and repented of. These, these daily, daily burdens that we sometimes feel these, these things that people teach us, because it sounds good, that if I can be doing something, it, it then seduces us and to think that my good and my right is what pleases God. It seduces us because it makes us feel good that I did something. I did something right. It emphasizes the change, the change, the change, you're outside, but it never addresses our greatest problem. It's not the message of the gospel. Changing our behavior does not change you. And it does not change me. And so this morning as we unpack this passage, we're going to see the fruit, we're going to see the root, and we're going to see the treasure of why we do the things that we do. So that we can see this great reality of what Jesus is showing us so that we can be free. So that we can be free to live by grace and rejoice in the glorious work of God as He is transforming us. So let's look at the first one, the fruit. Verse 43 says, No good tree bears bad fruit. No good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. Right. So there's the, the axiom. We all know this. Jesus is using the metaphor here, the, the, the fruits and the, the trees where, where the fruit, whatever you want to call it, you want to call it apples, you want to call it oranges or limes or, or whatever, they, they're either good, the fruit is either good, or it is, it is bad. We are the trees. We are the trees. And the, the fruit that we produce in our lives as a tree is either good fruit or bad fruit. So the fruit is our behaviors. He even gives us an example. If you look down toward verse 45, he gives an example of that. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth what? Speaks. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth 
speak. So, so here's an example of, of our behavior, that it could be good or it could be bad. Our words that we, that we use literally flow from our hearts. They literally flow from our hearts. This is just one example of so many behaviors and actions and words and tones and body languages that we can use to describe the fruits of our lives. And the fruit that we produce, the fruit of our life that we produce is indicative of the kind of tree we are. A good tree or a bad tree. So here's the the big revelation here. The, the, big, the big revelation is, is that we are all trees, and as trees, we are always producing some kind of fruit. Right? We're always producing some kind of fruit. There's, there's never a time when, when fruit is not just popping up. Even now, we're producing fruit. So what Jesus is telling us this morning in this passage, He wants us to understand fundamentally that there is a, fundamentally we need to understand that whatever we do, anything that we do, behaviors, actions, thoughts, desires, affections, are all fruits that we produce. People and situations don't make us say what we say. Or respond the way that we respond. Even though, nine times out of ten, how we act, however it is, we want to blame someone else. It is fruit from our trees. No one has to be taught how to blame shift. Children come out of the womb blame shifting. Blaming someone else for their issues, for their problems, for their hunger, whatever it is. Whatever need it may be. For changing their diapers, doggone it. <laughs> they blamed someone else. We as adults, nine times out of ten, blame. Have you ever said, have you ever said, you made me so angry? You ever said that? You made me so angry. If, if, if you wouldn't have been there, that wouldn't have happened. Or I wouldn't have said that. These kids are driving me nuts, kind of stuff, right? I've never said that. Let me give you another example. For, for many Christians, and I, I think particularly, particularly young men, anger is a big sin struggle. I think if you, if you sat down with, with, with young men and, and, and just as a uh, a, a pastoral note to, to our men. If, if that is an issue that you've had, you've struggled with this sin, there are younger men who could use your uh, counseling and care and love and, and uh, shepherding in that. So if we recognize that that anger is a big issue for us and, and how we respond to anger then, then, then we kind of learn then how we could address it. So if we recognize that it is, is sin, and then we begin to see, okay, what are all the little things that make me angry or, or have me respond the way I do? What we, we learn is those, those triggers that set off our, our anger, whatever it's frustrations at work or people don't meet my expectations, things don't go my way, something gets broken, whatever it is. Whatever it is, whatever it is, we then try to control it. We then take those things that surround that area of anger and we try to control it and manipulate it in such a way that we don't uh, want so that we don't respond that way again if it happens again. And, and this is the way that we've been taught to address such things as anger. This is the way that I was taught to, to deal with, with, with my anger. And for me, it was all out war as anger would begin to take hold of my heart. I would get angry. Words would spew out of my mouth like a machine gun trying to wound and kill anyone that I could. Even the ones that I love the most. You hurt me. You disobeyed me. You inconvenienced me. You bothered me. You got in my way. You didn't do this. Whatever it was. I justified my anger in that way. 
And I begin to see that all these little things, though, all these little barriers and controlling aspects begin to never work. They begin to fail me over and over again. So these are the, the fruits of, of my anger. And so there's this, there's this organic connection or relationship between the fruit and the tree. We can't separate the fruit and the tree. Or the fruit of our life cannot be separated from the tree. The problem with my words is directly tied with a problem that I have deep in my heart. And if there's a problem with, our, with my heart, then the solution is not fruit modification or, or legalism, but, but rather some more comprehensive need is to be applied. And that brings me to the second point. From the fruit to the root. From the fruit to the root. Now, if we, if we know what the fruit of the tree is, if we know what the fruit of the tree is, it's what grows out of us, and the next question then, where, what does this mean? Where does this, where does this come from? Why do I do it then? Why do I, why do I produce this kind of, of fruit? And so to understand that, we've got to go underground. We've got to go underground. And looking at verse 44, look what it says. For, for a tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. So why can't I get a lime from a pecan tree? It's a good question. Good question for us South Georgia people. We've got lots of pecans. We want limes. Well, despite our culture's selective relativism, this is a known axiom. A known truth. You, you, cannot, you can't get limes from a pecan tree, nor can you get pecans from a lime tree. So there's a difference between the fig tree and the grape tree, or there's a difference between the pecan tree and the, and the lime tree. One produces figs. I've never seen a fig tree, so I, I think they produce figs. But I have seen a grapevine, and they produce grapes. And the evidence is the fruit. So if the, if, the, if the tree is good, it's going to produce a good fruit. If it's a bad tree, then it's going to produce a bad fruit. That's what we, we just learned. So what then determines if it's going to be good or bad? Well, look at verse 45. The good person, the good tree, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good fruit, or good, produces good actions, behaviors. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of his heart, his mouth speaks. So if the, the fruit of the tree of our lives are, is our behaviors, all that we do, then the root of the tree is our hearts. The root of the tree, so we have to go underground. We have to look below to see where the problem lies. And the problem lies in our hearts. Now, when the Bible speaks about the heart of mankind, it is not talking about the organ that pumps. Boy, that sounds cool, right? It's not talking about the organ that pumps blood throughout our inner body. It is a description or another metaphor that, that describes the inner person of who we are. Not the outer, right? The outer part is our, the physical body, but the inner person is our, our spiritual self those places that we would call our spirit and our soul and our minds and our emotions and our will, all of those things are in our hearts. Brothers and sisters, the heart is the real you. That, that, is, that is you. That is, the, that is the, the real person. That's why the, the Bible always talks about your hearts and conforming your hearts to the gospel to Christ. We need the circumcision of our hearts. It doesn't talk about our behaviors. It talks about your heart. The outer person what does what? What does the outer outside person do? It's fading away. It's breaking down. But what remains? The heart. What lasts? The heart. It is who we are. It is the center of our personhood. So every thought, every desire, every affection, every emotion and motivation, and even our actions and our behaviors all start and proceed 
from the roots of our hearts. From our heart. So just like the fruit comes from the tree, the roots, our actions and our behaviors, the fruit of our lives come from our hearts. And this is what Jesus is is teaching us. And, And by the way, this is a lesson you can find throughout the gospel. You can find this lesson throughout the gospel. This is one that Jesus reiterates over and over again because it's one of the most single most important things about how we function as humans and understanding and why we do the things we do, why we say the things that we say, why we act the way that we act. And yet it seems to be the hardest thing for us to get, albeit learn and accept. Often it's neglected. Because it's so much easier for us to correct the outside than it is to correct what's underground. Isn't it easier to pull the top of a weed than it is to dig that sucker out? And my evidence, once again, of this is how we blame people. How we blame other people, how we blame our wives or our husbands or our kids and jobs and parents and circumstances and actions and with, with all the words that we say because of our hearts. Because of the anger in our hearts, because of the jealousy in our heart or the anxiety or the fears or whatever it may be. It all proceeds from the heart. So when Jesus is telling us here, don't be a hypocrite, Accept responsibility for your behavior because it proceeds from your heart. People and circumstances that, ca- that we think cause us to act in certain ways, they only reveal what is already there. They only reveal what is already in our hearts. My heart, no matter, no matter the circumstance of the person, has always been my greatest enemy. It's always been my, my greatest enemy. If it's too strong of a word, then it's your greatest problem. It's been my greatest problem. No one has ever hurt you or lied to you more than you. Which causes us to believe more lies and to act in certain ways and respond in in certain ways. It all proceeds from our hearts. The roots. We have to see that this is the root of our issues and why we do what we do. And so if this is our problem... Any change that will last must what? It must come through the heart. It must come through the heart. It's it's not good enough for me to change my behavior or to change my circumstances. Legalism, moralism, and behavior modification always emphasizes external behavior and ignores the heart. If the heart doesn't change, our words and our behaviors may change for a time because of some guilt or some shame or some other incentive or reward or whatever it may be. But over time, when the pressures go down, the changes will just disappear. Why? Because we haven't addressed the heart. I know I've I've told you all this before, but I struggled with sin for many years and anger, and I was taught how to modify my behavior. I sat under the, the best teachers to modify my behavior to look a certain way, put the right clothes on, the mask, and, and, and all of those things, such as uh, dealing with my anger, I learned all these different ways that if I, if I did that or changed my behavior or my circumstances, that I wouldn't get angry anymore. And the problem is I still got angry because it doesn't matter what I did. It didn't matter the, the rules that I created for myself and tried to apply to my life. It wasn't enough. It couldn't remove everything. And the reason why I couldn't remove everything because I was still living in a pretty simple world in a sinful body. And I couldn't remove all that. I mean, you get in a car and you're just going to get frustrated after a while if you drive long enough, right? Frustrated I'm not getting there fast enough. I'm frustrated because a guy just cut me off, didn't use his turn signal, or a guy's going slow in the fast lane. You know what I mean, right? These are the things I couldn't cut out of my life. What was I going to do, throw my, my keys away to my truck? Stop driving? No. So when I failed over and over again, despite all the mods that I made to, to my life, all I could think about was how disappointed God must be in me. He saved me to continue to act like this. And so what, I, what ended up happening to me is everybody, I'd get sick and tired of the treadmill and I'd get off. 
for a time, I would, I would just kind of quit altogether until, until I got the next sermon or I got the next, next message and then I would muster up all my strength and my devotion because this time, God, I really mean it. And that same cycle over and over again, what was the issue? What's our all our issues? I, my heart wasn't addressed. The root problems was not addressed. The, the idolatry in my heart was not uh, addressed. The lust in my heart was not addressed. The anger was not addressed. My heart was my greatest problem. And there was no amount of legalism or moralism or behavior modification I could do to change my heart. And see, this is what Jesus was picking out back in that Matthew 23 passage when he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the, of the cup and the plate, but the inside is what? Full of greed and self-indulgent. Your root is bad, dirty. You blind Pharisee, clean the inside of your cup and the plate, and that the outside also may be clean. It starts in our hearts. It starts at the roots. And these guys didn't, didn't get it. I didn't get it. And so thousands of pounds of, of weight sat on my shoulders because I tried to deal with the outside first. And what is God after? Is God after our behaviors? Or is God after our hearts? Is God after our behaviors or if he, is he after our hearts? He's after our hearts because if God doesn't have our hearts, then he doesn't have us. If he doesn't have our hearts, then he, he doesn't have us. So it's, it's no good to just jump through behavioral hoops when your heart is not owned by God, when it's just possessed by other gods and other idols. What owns your heart owns the essence of who you are. Remember I said, this is who you are. It is your personhood. This is why David said in Psalm 51, and when he was repenting in verses 16 and 17, he said, for you will not delight in sacrifice. God, you will not delight in my, my, my giving of my behaviors and changing my life and, and giving these things and making more commitments because if that's what you would delight in, I would give it all. And I got lots to give, but you're not pleased with those things. The sacrifices of God are what? A broken spirit. Broken and contrite hearts. It's our hearts. It is our our hearts. It is in our hearts that we, we worship God. And so God is out after our hearts and our affections and our desires. So then true obedience is a matter of the heart. And it starts in our hearts. God is not just satisfied with our words. He is not satisfied with our behavior. He is not satisfied with our knowledge. He is not satisfied with our public acts of religious sacrifices. God is after our hearts. If you ask your child to do something, I always use the example of unloading the dishwasher. If you ask your child to go unload the dishwasher and they groan and complain and their response is, not again, why do I have to do this? But they know they were told they were to do and they go do it. Now, granted, I, we, we got the behavior out of them, but do we have their hearts? As a parent, are we, are we after the, the begrudging submission of our children? No. Not if we love our children. We, we desire joyful, submissive obedience because it honors us. It starts at the heart. And the same thing with the Lord. What kind of glory does God get with a bunch of miserable Christians who hate his commands but do them anyways? Nothing. And so this is why Christianity, the gospel... It's a religion of the heart. Starts at the, at the heart. This is why Jesus' Sermon on the Plain is so important. Because it moves the boundaries of, of the law to not only affect our behaviors, but to start in our hearts. So when Jesus says things, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery, but adultery is a matter of the heart's So even if you look at a woman and lust after her, you've already committed adultery. Why? Because adultery starts in the heart. Same thing with, with murder and hatred. Same thing with, with stealing. In, um, in uh, uh, Paul David Tripp's book, Instruments in the Hands of the Redeemer, 
Uh, he helps us understand what Jesus is talking about and how we can apply uh, change to our hearts or how we usually would apply change in, in our hearts. And I'm just going to tell you the example. Um, so what if I had a, uh, 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 I do, I'll use the, a real example. I have a lime tree in my yard, for, for real. got a lime tree in my yard and, and, and it's growing really well. It's doing really good and, and hopefully this year, uh, we're going to get some limes. But just, let's just say we, the limes are, are growing on our, our tree. And we've had it for a couple years now. The limes are growing on the tree. And every year during the harvest, we've been going out to this lime tree. And, and we've been looking at the limes. And the limes are just bad. They never, they never mature. They stink. There's worms in it, whatever you, you want to say. Um, you know, they just, the, the, the rinds are just way too thick. And there's, there's just there's nothing that you can, there's no redeemable quality to the limes. So I'm out there looking at the tree, and of course, you know, my wife comes out, looks at the tree with me, and says, why do we even have this tree? I hate this thing. It doesn't produce any fruit. Get rid of it. And, and being the kind of person that I am, I don't, I don't give up too quickly. I paid money for this tree. Doggone thing's going to produce something, right? So I, get, I come up with this great idea. I go get my, my ladder. I go get, put my gloves on, because there's thorns on that thing. And, and I go get my ladder. I go get my gloves. I get some shears, and, and I go to Walmart, and I go buy two big bags of limes. Buy all of your lime I can find. And I go back to the house, and I go in there, and I put my gloves on, and I just start pulling off all the limes, and I chunk them in the garbage. And I grab my staple gun, and I begin to staple the limes to the tree. <laughs> begin to staple the, the, the limes to the, to the tree. Now, if people would walk by, or if you guys came over, and just maybe from the driveway or from the backyard, you can look at the lime tree and say, man, your lime tree looks great. Those limes look really good. Let's, let's make some limeade or something, right? Okay, cool, let's do that. I have to pull the staple out first. But if Christina came outside and saw me stapling limes to a tree, she would think I lost it, just as many of you. And maybe I already have. And this is what uh, Paul Tripp says about that example. He says, if a tree produces bad limes, he uses apples, I say limes, bad limes, year after year, then there's something drastically wrong with its system, down to its very roots. I won't solve the problem by stapling new limes on the branches. They will also rot, because they are not attached to the life-giving root system. And next spring, I will have the same problem again. I will not see a new crop of healthy limes because my solution has not gone to the heart of the problem. If the tree's roots remain unchanged, it will never produce good limes. Here's the point. Most of us have been taught to deal with our sin like anger, lust, jealousy, whatever it may be to make changes in, our, in ourselves, in our lives, or even to try to make changes in other people's lives by doing the very same thing of just trying the fruit staple. Just remove this and put this in there. Take, take what, what looks good or bad and remove it and put something that looks good there. But what's going to happen to what looks good there? Not attached to, to the root. It's going to, it's going to die. And if we try to exchange limes for limes without examining our heart and the root behind the behavior, then this is exactly what's going to happen. And then this is what Jesus is exposing, uh, the, our misunderstanding and our misapplying of, of the text or any of these imperative commands that, that is given in the Scripture. And it's not just an issue for the Pharisees, but this is an issue for the, for the church today. It has been unknowingly taught in so many ways, in so many different times, fruit stapling. Don't do that. Do this instead. You'll look better. This is an issue for us. All, all that change ignores the heart, and it rarely transforms our life. Because it seems like it's the real thing, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like the real thing when you put a, a good lime and everything looks good and it, it proves to be temporary and, and, and cosmetic? But the epidemic is still there. The problem is still there. And this is what is happening in the church, and it's an epidemic that has been going on, like I said, for years and years, for generations. 
It's why we have problems where, where a large percentage of teenagers that grow up in church, they go through church programs and children's programs and youth programs, and they, they come from good, loving Christian homes. They are well-loved. They are well-instructed. They have good oversight. They have good Christian parents. But when they go off to college, they completely forsake their faith. And it's a large percentage. We've all heard of this. We know people who have dealt with this. But according to what Jesus is telling us here, it's not that they forsook their faith, but rather their faith was not their own in the first place. So when the restraint, right, when the restraint and the boundaries were, were removed, when they, when they got to school, what happened? The real fruit was produced. The real fruit was, was revealed. Their faith wasn't in the gospel, wasn't in Christ. The truths of the gospel have not been internalized where they would trust Christ in a way that would bring transformation. They only did the Christian things when they're in a Christian context because it was what was required of them to do. Or maybe at the time it was a good thing for them to do. So when they were at college, the anchor was gone. The true desires of the heart led them away. So college friends, parties, girls, atheist professors was not the problem. It's their hearts. It's the heart. And so what do we do? How do we address the heart? If the heart is our biggest problem, then what do we do? I'm glad you asked. We need to replace our hearts first. First, we need, we need new hearts. If we are not in Christ, if you're an unbeliever, then the first and foremost, what we need is we need a new heart. And this is where the gospel starts. Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27 say this. I'm going to read the rest of this passage at the end of the service. It says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You see, this is what God is in the business of doing. This is what God does. This is how God changes us. He takes that heart of stone and He replaces it with a heart of flesh. This is what we've been calling uh, the great exchange. Where in Christ, He takes our unrighteousness upon Himself and we gain His. We get new hearts. We gain a heart that beats and feels like God's. So that's first and foremost, is we need, we need new hearts. And now if we are in Christ, does that mean we do fruit stapling? No. We still have to dress the, the old nature and the old flesh and the old heart that still resides in us. We have to address the heart. And the way that we address the heart is we replace then our desires and our affections that will move our heart to desire something that is greater, something that is better, something like, I don't know, a treasure, right? Something that we can, we can treasure, something that we can hold dear. Look at verse 45. The good person out of what? The good treasure of his heart produces good. So our behaviors are only changed when our hearts treasure something greater. Something beside ourselves. And this treasure is the gospel. It is the gospel now that we, we, we possess in our, in our union with Christ and the indwelling of the, the Holy Spirit. And when we possess the Holy Spirit and we've been transformed by Christ and we're in union with Christ, then, then it's not that we might produce fruit, good fruit according to our nature, or that we should produce fruit according to our nature, but the good tree will produce good fruit. And we can trust Christ that we will produce this good fruit. Because our hearts have been made new. And we now treasure something so much greater and lasting than what is so temporary. The treasure is the gospel. And we now have it.
So the gospel doesn't change us through changing our behavior. That's what the Pharisees did. That's what they tried to do with the law. And that's what we hear a lot of preachers and teachers and churches have tried to do by taking what is in the New Testament and teaching them as just ethical lessons. To You get saved, and then you work yourself to be a better person. And those things can't be disconnected. And that's what's attempted. We, we, can, we can produce fruit because of this is what Christ has already done. And so there's this disconnect that so many have tried to do. But the gospel first starts in our heart, the transformation, regeneration, gives us new hearts, transforming that heart of stone in the flesh and changing our hearts and changing the roots of our lives, giving us new desires and new affections for new joys and greater treasures. So we don't want to follow hypocrites, and we don't want to be hypocrites. And the way that we're, we don't become hypocrites is we understand this. We understand where our heart transformation comes from, that our problem is an internal problem that cannot be fixed by just our behavior alone, but our problem is our nature. And our nature and our hearts can only be changed by the power of the gospel. This is our problem. And yet Jesus came and rescued us rescued us to give us these new hearts. He didn't, he didn't rescue you so that you could change your behavior. He didn't rescue you from consequences and behaviors, but He rescued you from you. My problem, once again, my, our problem, my problem is, is not a problem with murder. My, my problem is I have a murderous heart. And because I have a murderous heart, I can hate hu- other human beings really easy. My, my problem is not uh, physical sexual immorality, but, but a lustful heart that desires things that are outside of God's will for me, that craves the immorality, that I crave more of what my body wants than more of the glory of God, and so on and so forth, and everything else that we do. And you see, if we, if we get a hold of this idea, if we can catch this, this connection that, that we are just flat out broken, that we're broken, and, and what we need inside of us is Christ and the change and the transformation that, that, that He can give, and we see that our only hope is the grace of of God, then, then brothers and sisters, we will rejoice with, with great joy in a greater treasure. And as a side note, when we realize this, then we will be humble enough to give grace to others and love others because we realize they're broken too. You see, this is why Jesus got so mad at the Pharisees. Because they took the good, holy glory of the law. And they took the sinful nature of man and they divorced it from the grace of God. And then they used their message to condemn others. This passage for us this morning serves as a diagnostic, doesn't it? It it peels back the layers some more and showing us who we really are and and as I said a couple weeks ago, it's not good, is it? It's dark. But, but can I tell you that it's, that it's okay to read these words and hear these things that Jesus says and, and just say, I know I am broken. It is okay for us to say that I know that I am broken and I am not free. We get that. We can say that freely this morning and that it is okay to cast all of our burdens and our striving and our toiling on Jesus. That's what He came for. To take our burdens upon Himself. And then we can pray honestly. Honestly to the Lord and Savior and Rescuer of our lives that He would continue His work to free us by His grace from the evil desires of our hearts. And we can pray that we want our hearts to be ruled by Him and Him alone. I can tell you, brothers and sisters, that I am convinced that Christianity 
is not yet free from only addressing just the behaviors of the person. It's easy for me to look at others. I can also say that I think in, in, in thinking of even myself and speaking to some others that sovereign grace is not free from this. We are not free from these distortions. But the good news this morning is we can cry out for grace. We can rely on, on grace. That God would own every part of our hearts, our minds, our wills, emotions, desires, affections. And by faith each day we will walk in the hope that he has given us. And you see one of the painful joys of this glorious truth when we see it. It looks ugly. It's not good. But when we see this truth and and we'll see that our hope is not in me producing fruit. But my hope is in Him. And the fruit then I produce is because of Him. And then who gets the glory? Would we be able to look directly into the mirror of God's Word with confidence and assurance and perseverance so that we can, each day, step we take, each day we walk, we can be free, freely confess our need for His grace and mercy? to change our hearts, to show us the greater treasure, the lasting treasure, so that we can love others, we can love others, even in the midst of our spiritual struggles. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you for the diagnostic of showing us, showing us the log that is in our eyes, the log that has come from our hearts, And I pray that by your grace that we could rely on you for those things to be removed, that we may be set free. Lord, we we confess that we we can become so blind to the truth. We can be be blind to the truth of where, where our fruits come from. We can blame others. Oh Lord, forgive us. Would you free us from just behavioral modification and fruit stapling to help us treasure in Jesus Christ and rejoice in the treasure of the good news? Would you give us grace this morning and every day to trust in his work alone, in his person alone and not our own? And oh Lord, so that we would love one another and all this for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.